Welcome to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast brought to you by the ACL. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Each month, we feature a patient interview, case presentation, or interviewer discussion with one or more of our doctors who practice a different kind of psychiatry. We are interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to aco at orgonomy.org. The best way to help the American College of Ergonomy spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. If you enjoy the podcast, we'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review. If you're interested in attending one of our webinar presentations, you can meet the doctors and join in on the discussion afterwards. If you're interested in training with the ACO, you can learn more about the medical orgone therapy or social ergonomy training programs. You can connect with us and learn more at ergonomy.org or a different kind of psychiatry.com. This episode features a discussion with Dr. Alberto Foglia, who presents one of his articles from the Journal of Ergonomy entitled Two Possessed Girls. The problem and the effect of therapy for both patients was dramatic. After the presentation, Dr. Foglia and I discuss key aspects of the patient's emotional struggles and important components of medical organ therapy. Two possessed girls, two cases of pre-adolescent girls who exhibit similar clinical character traits and emotional responses are presented. When first seen, they both seemed nice, charming, and almost angelic. However, each could be extremely defiant and conniving and exhibited episodes of rage and murderous violence mostly directed at their respective mothers. Medical organ therapy was effective in treating these two patients with surprising and rapid clinical improvement. Finally, clinical and theoretical insights into the pathology of these children is described. The first child, Lisa, Lisa was eight years old when her mother brought her to me because of her increasingly disturbing behavior, sudden outbursts of violence toward her mother. These episodes were present since the age of four. At first, they looked like temper tantrums. Later, they became severe, violent, and focused. By the age of six, they occurred weekly. Lisa had never been seen by a doctor for this behavior. During these episodes, she beat her mother with her fists, biting and kicking her savagely. Then she insulted her repeatedly, calling her all manner of vulgarities. According to her mother, Lisa was fully conscious and aware of her behaviors. Mother said she becomes just another child, a devil. These crises lasted almost one hour and left the mother physically exhausted and emotionally devastated. Afterwards, Lisa returned to her usual self, nice, calm, and in control, just as if nothing had happened. 
If asked about her behavior, she tended to change the subject and slipped away, occupying herself in some task like reading or watching TV. I asked the mother if she had ever done anything to stop Lisa, to which she answered that any attempt was totally ineffective due to the strength and violence of Lisa's attacks. Sometimes Lisa's outburst happened with a female babysitter, but never with other people. It appeared that these crises were precipitated by small limit setting or redirection that her mother attempted to put into effect. The mother, an apparently educated person, described the behavior of her child in an intellectually distanced way, which contrasted with the tears in her eyes and the anxious tone of her voice. She said, Lisa is an angel who can transform into a real demon. The mother lived in terror of this girl, who she loved dearly. Though the mother showed no anger at all about the destructive behavior of her daughter. The mother tended to be submissive and paralyzed with fear. During this episode, she didn't argue or complain and remained silent or immobile. Lisa's father was a charming and generally manipulative man who could at times transform into being verbally abusive, imposing and controlling. Lisa was delivered full term and naturally and was physically healthy. She had no known history of being exposed to trauma. She never had problems at school or with other children. When I first saw Lisa, she appeared as a beautiful, charming and slightly timid girl. She talked in a high-pitched, sing-song babyish voice. She interacted with her mother in an affected, artificial, cheerful manner, to which the mother responded with an equally artificially sing-song voice. They were like two little four-year-old girlfriends playing together in a fairy tale world. I asked Lisa to, dine, to lie down on the treatment couch. Her mother was seated on a chair a foot away. When Lisa did so, I asked her to look around the room with her eyes. Immediately, she refused, looked over at her, at her mother and began to whine like a victim. She then left the couch and went to her mother climbing into her lap, whimpering. Again, I told mother, both mother and Lisa that I needed the child to return to the couch. My insistence was enough to trigger the demon. Lisa began to yell at me, calling me stupid and idiot. She told her mother how aggressive, overbearing and mean I was. The mother tried to gently put Lisa on the couch, by placing her hands on the child's arms, speaking to the child in her usual sing-song babyish voice. Lisa, however, reacted violently. She began to hit her mother with her fists on her mother's head and torso. She kicked her until I asked the mother if she needed my help to disengage the two of them. The mother said, looking frightened, tearful and shaky, yes, please help me. To the mother's relief, I took Lisa and put her on the couch. 
she fought, hit, banging me on my arms, hands to free herself. I held her gently but firmly on the couch, holding her torso and arms to avoid her hurting me, her mother or herself. She reacted furiously, kicking, calling me all kinds of names, puppyhead, motherfucker, idiot. Like a cunning adult woman, she used words that played on her mother's fear and guilt. This man is mean. He is hurting me. Mom, can't you see how cruel this stupid guy is? This was said in a strong, aggressive, assertive and very convincing tone. In reality, I was just gently restraining her for her own safety as well as, as, as her mother's by keeping her on the couch. I repeated to her, I will let you go only when you do what I ask you. Remain calm and look around the room with your eyes. A full hour passed with Lisa raging, screaming, insults and trying to hit me with her fists. I could not help being reminded of the movie The Exorcist. Then, in the space of few minutes, Lisa calmed down. She became distant, cool and controlled, as if nothing had happened. I realized as she calmed down that throughout the episodes she had not shed a single tear. She then lay down on the couch, looking around the room with her eyes as I directed her. By the end of the session, Lisa was calm and no longer exaggeratedly sweet. She looked at me in a serious manner, sulking a bit, but polite and clear. Lisa's mother did not make another appointment for the child. Two months later, the mother wrote, let me know that the child continued to remain well, free of her presenting symptoms. One year after Lisa's session, I learned that Lisa's mother had a nervous breakdown and was admitted into a mental health hospital. But Lisa continued to do well. The second girl, Juliana. Juliana was an 11-year-old prepubertal girl brought to me because of weekly episodes of extreme violence against her mother. She kicked and punched her mother, throwing any available object at her, yelling and insulting her. This was always preceded by minor arguments that followed being asked to pick up her shoes, do homework or told what to wear. The mother, a simple and practical woman, told me she responded to her daughter's behavior by trying to calm her down, mostly with reassuring words, though without success. Juliana's outburst never occurred outside the home and never with people other than her mother. They began four to five years earlier, but now were reaching an unbearable intensity. They began as strong tantrums, and through the years, they became fits of violence that occurred without warning, as expected with an epileptic seizure. During this outburst, Juliana didn't look dissociated or in a trance-like state. At the end of the crisis, she was calm and unfazed. She didn't want to talk about her behavior and acted as if nothing had happened. During the last three years, the episodes became more frequent and severe, and the mother's attempts to calm her daughter were more and more ineffective. 
the mother had divorced Giuliano's father when she, the child was nine years old. The mother described him as a controlling, overbearing, and verbally abusive. Giuliano's mother denied that the child had any history of trauma. Giuliana presented as a very charming, beautiful, and intelligent girl who, at the age of 11, had a surprisingly aristocratic bearing. Her posture, facial expression, and the tone of her voice conveyed a sense of distance, superiority, and disdain. She impressed me with her attitude of severity and coolness, and she treated her mother with a contemptuous, self-important air. I asked Juliana to lie down on the couch. Her mother seated next to her. She did so following my request to look around the room, breathe and kick. Suddenly, she began to complain. This is stupid. She sat up, looked at her mother and said, don't you see what stupid things this man is asking me to do? I continued to tell Juliana to lie on the couch and I watched as her contemptuous expressions increased farther. Finally, she stood up and stood here her mother. I told them both that Juliana should lie down and follow my request. When the mother agreed with me, Juliana became infuriated and began to insult her mother by saying, you stupid idiot, you bitch. Then she turned to me, she turned to me and raged saying, you stupid piece of shit. I asked the mother if she wanted to help her daughter to remain on the couch. The mother tried to convince her daughter and taking her arm, gently tried to push the girl on the couch without success. I asked the mother for permission to help her. And when she gave it, I put Juliana on the couch by holding her by the arms and legs, gently but firmly. Now a battle began where Juliana transformed into her devil self, as mother said. The child became strong violent, contemptuous, and cunning. She really wanted to show her mother how mean and abusive I was. If one would have listened to Juliana without seeing the actual scene, they would have been convinced that I was treating her badly. Juliana tried to beat me with her fists, insulted me with all kinds of vulgarities one would never imagine coming from the mouth of a, such a young girl. She kicked me and even tried to spit at me. Juliana never cried and never showed any weakness during this episode. I told her I would let her go once she calmed down and cooperated with me. This went on for a full 45 minutes, after which she calmed down, became serious and left the office. I thought to myself, if she were a few years older, I could not keep her on the couch and everything would have been much more difficult. The mother called me two weeks later, telling me that Juliana was doing very well and had stopped having outbursts completely. Dr. Folia, these are intense, amazing cases. Yes. <clears throat> you know, th there's a lot of things, ideas and feelings I have about these two cases, but what stands out probably the most is how little you did, but how important what little you did was. Yes. Maybe you could say something about that. Uh, what I did was 
only asking some uh, simple uh, tasks. And this revealed uh, the character structure, the, uh, the superficial character traits of the two girls, trying to uh, comply, uh, to accept my direction, but then exploding in rebellious rage. So uh, this rage was just underneath uh, the surface. It needed very little to get them uh, exposed. So I can imagine at home, the mother tells them, please put the shoes in order and this is enough to, to, uh, to have them explode. And this, this is what happened at home. What was it like in the office with these two young girls? It was exhausting. It was a battle of 45 minutes, uh, uh, but I, I could feel that uh, they needed it and that this was uh, therapeutic to them. This was really like in the old uh, uh, psychiatric treatment of the 17th century. Uh, they were called a crisis, violent outburst. In the exorcism times, they were the devilish coming out and discharging and making the, the people, mostly girls, feeling much better, better and relieved. So I was doing the same as the old exorcist. Yeah. Another aspect of this that stands out to me is <clears throat> the mothers come across as quite anti-authoritarian. Is that how you saw their parenting? Yes, yes. They, they were very weak. And, very submitted, uh, very soft, uh, incapable of uh, being assertive and aggressive in a healthy way with their daughters. To the opposite, the fathers were uh, overbearing, aggressive, uh, arrogant. Mm. So this pattern was probably seen by the girls in their infancy, a pattern where the mother were completely submitted. Yeah. I also wondered what effect it had on the mothers, and you, you mentioned the first mother um, then having um, her own crisis uh, a year later, but I imagine, I wonder what effect it had just to watch you work with her daughter right right there in the, in the office together. Uh, that's a good question. The mother were surprised and happy of my help. It is interesting to know why the Juliana didn't come anymore. Uh, because the father didn't want. And the oh, mother, so that I, I was curious about to hear more about what ended up happening. Yes, and the mother uh, was incapable of standing up to the father with whom she was divorced uh, and, and uh, insist to bring the daughter in a therapy that have helped her very much. Oh, wow. Yes. Hmm. And the first mother didn't come anymore because she came from far away, very far away. So this was for me the reason, but it was also an excuse. And the fact that she ended up in uh, hospital means for me that somehow this session changed the equilibrium of the two women at home. I don't know exactly how, but uh, Lisa was free of his, her attacks for one year and the mother end up in hospital. So something has changed in the equilibrium of the two women. You know, it it, um, it makes you think of that term we use, substitute contact. And, it, it, you know, like when you talk about them being like two four-year-olds 
being friends in this sing-songy manner. In yeah. some ways that was off, but in some ways that worked for them to a degree, however um, tenuous, and, and maybe losing that uh, had an uh, impact on the mother. Yes. So it was uh, probably this uh, uh, fairy-like uh, talking uh, and substitute contact was better for the mother than for the girl. The, yeah. mother, the mother could uh, could uh, go along with that, the daughter, only with weekly outbursts. Yeah. And almost, you know, I have this idea of what the work that you did with Lisa was almost a challenge to mother that if, if you can stand this rage, if you can be with her when she's like this and allow her to discharge it, she can be okay. But but the question is, can can she be okay to do that? Exactly. I don't think so. That, that's the impression, yeah. Both mother would have need them a therapy. Yes. Yes. For a long and that time. didn't come up with the, the second mother? Um, didn't come up. No, no. Mm. What the father had said was, uh, was decisive. So that, that idea of having um, a child's parent in therapy has come up in our discussions, um, in our um, group discussions, and, and that has been so important for me in my own work to, to recognize when a parent needs their own treatment and how much that plays a role in, in the child's life. Um, yes. Is that how you've been oh, seeing? Oh, yes. I used to see children, uh, all, even if the parents were not in therapy, but now I don't do it anymore. It was always very difficult. Uh, it brought to problems. The child can have, a, say, a aggressive reaction at home, and the mother or the father wouldn't understand that. If they are in therapy, they understand. I understand this change very well, and they are much more co cooperative. Dr. Foley, I like the way you said that because it's not a judgment of the parent that, you know, you're not criticizing them, but you're you need to work with them for them to be able to get it to see what's going on with their child so that they can be an effective parent for whatever the child's needs are. Is that right? That's right. Yes. Because a child is a, is like a, an organ of the parents, is a, a protuberance, it is a pseudopod of the parents. Uh, and, and the child, is, if he is in therapy, he will change. He will change a lot. And this changement, the parents has to be prepared to tolerate and to understand. If they are not in therapy, it's very difficult to understand for yeah. them. Yeah, that's how I see it too. Yeah. And the other thing that stands out about both these cases is, I think you mentioned both mothers said this has been going on for four to five years or, or something along that line before they presented to you and asking for help. There's yeah. something about that, you know? Uh, what do you mean? That they uh, waited so much? Yes, yes. That they yeah. took a beating. You know, the mothers took a beating for years before they, they finally tried to do something about it. Yes. But you see, I see many such cases where parents sustain incredible things. People with completely psychotic children uh, uh, blocked and, and barricaded at home for years before they call a doctor. Wow. It's incredible, incredible what, what parents can do or cannot do. Yeah. Before asking for help. Yeah. yeah. They are afraid to ask for help. Hmm. The other thing that, that stands out is 
if you weren't working with these young girls on the couch, but were trying to do some kind of talk therapy, I can just imagine how it could go on and on and get nowhere. Yes, you are, I agree completely with you. These disturbances are too much vegetative, are too much physiological, too much emotional, and not cognitive, not intellectual, not psychological. So with a psychological, cognitive uh, um, approach, you, you just reach the surface and they are very good at uh, avoiding, avoiding you uh, and, uh, and the contact with their feelings. Yeah, you mentioned that in both cases, you know, you asked them about their behavior and they kind of just like whisked it away and just talked well, about something fantastic else. To tell you, fantastic in doing that. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Like young, uh, young, very, uh, very capable uh, uh, actress. Wonderful. They were wonderful. Yeah. yeah. It's like the mother, you know, in each case was under the spell of just, you know, maybe mobilize some aggression to try to handle it. And then the, the daughter just whisked them away into fairyland and... Exactly. Yeah. The daughter completely controlled the situation at home with the mother. Yeah, wow. The other thing, um, that's, it actually reminds me, so I have a four-year-old daughter, and so it, the way you describe some of these cases, it's like it began, you know, around four or five, six years old. And I, I had this distinct realization with her one night so she wasn't very sick but she was just miserable feeling because she was congested and a four-year-old can't blow their nose like an adult and and just felt you know not well and she woke up at two o'clock in the morning and i went in there to try to comfort her and her sister's room is right next door and so in the back of my mind i'm thinking okay i want to help her and comfort her but I don't want it to be too loud, you know? That okay. was in the back of my mind. You no, know, I'm half asleep. I don't want to wake up everyone else in the house. And as I was trying to comfort her, she saw right through it. it I could feel the tension building between us. And she just looked me straight in the eye and screamed at the top of her lungs. <laughs> and it was the best thing she could have done because she was able to express her misery in that, but also, don't you try to quiet me down. Yeah, I want to, I to <laughs> And then just to prove a point, she stared me right in the eyes again and was even louder. And then yeah. you know what happened? She relaxed. She went to bed in like two minutes. Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I felt so rewarded to get it in the moment when she looked at me and just screamed like, you know, Daddy, this is what I need. And you just have to take it, you know. Yeah. But the other thing I thought was, God, if I didn't get it in that moment. And it happened over and over again, you know? Yes. What, what could and, happen? Yes, and this is unfortunately the, today the role in, uh, in uh, psychiatric approach. The psychiatric approach in this era is almost completely cognitive, intellectual, uh, words-based, uh, and this is a disaster. This case demonstrate that in the past, psychiatrists or psychologists or therapists were a little bit better than now. The exorcists were um, mystically uh, distorted, by the, but they recognized the devil. They recognized what we call the secondary liar, the destructive liar, and they allowed for discharge. 
they thought it was the devil and it was not the patient, but still the patient discharged. After them, hypnotists came and they also wanted the crisis, that is emotional discharge. After them, psychoanalysis came and the rule of Freud was a so-called up reaction, which was nothing else than emotional discharge. Today, this is no longer the case. Today, emotional discharge crisis doesn't exist anymore. Therapies are cognitive, flat, emotional, uh, uh, lukewater emotions, uh, and mostly psychological and cognitive. And this is for me a disaster. So in the case of your daughter, uh, 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 a psychological approach would bring all her emotions into the brain causing an armoring of the brain, which is what we see today, more and more in young people. Up in their head, very conf confused, intellectual, uh, with a lot of excuses, a lot of intellectualization, rationalization, but in fact uh, unhappy and uh, confused. And I, I think um, it the contrast really comes out in working with children too, be yeah. because th they haven't developed that intellectualization, and and so it's it's that much more important to be aware of that the younger exactly. they are. Exactly. And and that's the other thing is you had amazing results with them, you know. Yes, you can see wonderful change in few sessions. Here is one session. Liz and Juliana had one session. It's truly amazing, and um, yeah, it's too bad for the mothers that you know. <clears throat> I guess I hope, kind of, maybe they can they can connect with that, even if it's years from now, to to cool. get their own help or to to help their daughters if they run into trouble again. Yes, I didn't hear uh, nothing anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even that stands out. How how could you ignore that? You know. Yes, that's that's the power of, of, of both the emotional discharge, but also the, the change in, in functioning. Exactly. You you go to a doctor, he changed the behavior of your daughter in one session and you don't come anymore. So it's, let's say a lot about the mothers. Sure does. Fortunately, unfortunately. Yes. They don't recognize what was going on. Or they recognize, but in a superficial way. Yes. And say about uh, the character trait, how the character trait is deep and is not intellectual, is not controlled by the brain. It is there, it is automatic. Yes. Unfortunately. I can imagine your training was incredibly important for you to be able to tolerate these young girls' rage, you know? To be there in the room, like you said, it was exhausting. Uh, physically, it sounded like to, to restrain them from hurting you or hurting somebody else, but in themselves. But but just to stand that amount of of energetic discharge, emotional discharge, must have taken a toll on you. Oh yes, but you know, if I could treat Liz and Juliana, it is not only because of my training, but also because of my experience. I have had children uh, having temper tantrum that lasted two hours. And you cannot go away when they have such a tantrums because it is a battle where they don't want to give up to you. And if you give up, the next time will be three hours. 
So I have to stand up and I have to, to, to uh, tolerate that and help them to give up because they give up a sick, uh, unhealthy behavior, but they don't give up it so easily. So you have to expect and to have patience and uh, wait for them. And uh, it happened to me that I had to, I had to, ha to wait for two hours usually half an hour or one hour, but it happened also two hours with high energy children. Wow. Yes. Wow. Dr. Folia, this is a wonderful um, article that you have. It's coming out in the next Journal of Ergonomy, and I really appreciate your time just reading this to us and having this discussion with me. Anything else about these cases you want to highlight? I think we have said everything. Thank you very much. How do you feel after listening to this article and discussion? What do you think? As I said during the discussion, what impresses me is that these cases highlight the powerful work that can be done on the therapy couch to address a patient's feeling and character, often inaccessible with talking alone. We are interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback send an email to aco at ergonomy.org. If you learned something or enjoyed the podcast, I hope you'll consider leaving a rating and review. The best way to help the ACO spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. I hope you share this podcast with your friends and family and let them know about our work. You can connect with us at ergonomy.org or a different kind of psychiatry.com. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Thank you for listening to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast brought to you by the ACO. Since 1968, psychiatrists affiliated with the American College of Ergonomy have been helping patients discover greater satisfaction, health, and overall well-being in their lives. Whether patients suffer with mental illness, struggle with addiction, or feel unsatisfied with their work lives or relationships, medical organ therapy as practiced by the physicians at the ACO offers a way forward offered without the use of medication.